The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to P.I.'s Declassified, an inside look at the world of private investigators. Your host is Francie Kaler, a noted private investigator. Francie and her guests take you behind the scenes and into the genuine, sometimes gritty business of investigation. You'll hear stories from the trenches with plenty of surprises. Here's your host, Francie Kaler. Good morning. You are going to have, uh, you're going to be experiencing a great show today, I can tell you right now. But before we get into me introducing my guest here, uh, don't forget the Digital Forensic Summit in Santa Barbara. I've been talking about it every week. If you need information, just Google Digital Forensic Summit Santa Barbara University and you'll find it, uh, all the details. Then there's a California Association of Licensed Investigators sponsored webinar, August 26th. Pre-employment background checks in California, dangers and landmines facing private investigators with expert Lester Rosen. This is really good if you if you do any kind of background investigations, be sure to find out about that. You can get information on that from the California Association Licensed Investigators website. Google that too. Okay. Now, that's the business. I'm excited to introduce my guest today, Brandon Perrin. And Brandon will be traveling from California from Florida to California for a two-day seminar next weekend. Um, it's going to be called, right, Brandon, Criminal Defense Investigation Training and Certification? Yes, ma'am. Okay. And that's August 15th and 16th, Campbell, California. And if you want information about that, it's uh, go to the Cali website, cali-pi.org. C-A-L-I-P-I.org. Okay, so that, that takes care of the business. Brandon, hi. How you doing? I'm great. So what you'll be hearing today is just a snippet of what you're going to be hearing from Brandon at the two-day. And we're going to be talking about criminal offense. This is a, sometimes a distasteful topic for some people. Right, Brandon? It is, but I, I think... The culture is changing. Um, I often refer to us as, and you included, we're due process investigators. And I think what you see in social media, what you see on the national news, I think people starting to awaken to the fact that there are investigators like us out there defending the United States Constitution, specifically the Sixth mm-hmm. Amendment, Fourth, Fifth, and Fourteenth. And I think it's things are changing. It's a, a paradigm shift, I think, in the field. Oh, good. I'm glad you think that. That's great. Okay, but. You know, tell us about you, Brandon. I, you know, you have such a, a varied background, and got your, you've had your hands in so many things. Give us kind of a thumbnail sketch of where you came from and how you got to where you are now. I first started as an investigator in the United States Air Force back in 1985, uh, San Antonio, Texas, and 
and I found I originally went into the law enforcement area. I wanted to be a police officer, and when I got into the military police unit, I enjoyed it. After a year, I had an opportunity to become an investigator, and that's where I found my true calling. It actually diverted me to not want to pursue a specific law enforcement career because I found that mm. law enforcement careers tend to they they keep you grounded. In other words, in order to be promoted, you have to you you're going to be a patrolman. You could be the best patrolman. You could be make detective. Then when you make sergeant, they move you back to patrol. And I wanted to be an investigator, and I had the opportunity mm-hmm. to work with Area Defense Council at the time on the opposite end in the military, and I found the defense side of it fascinating. So when I got out of the military, I ended up becoming a public defender investigator in Florida, and from there it just took off. I ended up on my own, uh, having my own agency and contracting, and now I have my fingers in a lot of different things. <laughs> and uh, I think that's the, the beauty of being a private investigator, though. We're not restricted right. or limited to one area. We really can have a broad approach to what involves, you know, what, any area of criminal justice or even civil justice. It's all intertwined, and that's what I really enjoy about it. And when did you, you got your, your BS in criminal justice. When did you do that? Oh, let me turn around. <laughs> I ended up earning that one in 2002. <laughs> really? Okay. Very yeah, good. Yeah, I had earned my associate's degree in criminal justice in the military, uh, and I got it through them with the community college of the Air Force. And then when I got out, I got involved in the field, and I did the slow approach to getting my bachelor's degree, which you know how that goes. <laughs> and uh, after a few do. years, I ended up getting that. Thought about my master's, but I decided to just continue to train and develop curriculum and write a few books. And then when you have your curriculum being used by major universities, I kind of look at the master's degree as like, why am I going to spend my time doing that? And I know it sounds bad, but I'm just not sure. I don't have the time. I have kids. I have three kids. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Well, okay. So you've, you've started several organizations. Talk about those because that's really important. Your criminal defense investigated investigation training council. Yeah, Tell us I about mean, that. That was my, my that's that was the first reach out into the world. I think I still have the investigative agency, which functions like everybody else does. It's, it's very regional. Investigative agencies tend to be, you know, local and regional, developing relationships with local clients and such. And then back when I, I was first in the public defender's office, when I left, I became a contractor with them, so I could open the agency. The public defender asked if we could develop some training for public defender investigators. And I said, sure. I started doing research, and I soon realized there was no training for public defender or criminal <laughs> right. defense investigators. There, you remember? There was no book. There was nothing. There, yep. Everything was a law enforcement training program that we had to read and, and cherry-pick information applicable to us. But it's really a different field. I mean, everything law enforcement does is, you know, pre-filing. It's, it's, it's really about leading up to arrest and referring for prosecution. And when we get involved, it's all post-arrest. Mm-hmm. And we have to hold, understand and recognize and be experts in a variety of different areas where we're really legal investigators. We're due process investigators. And we have to understand things at a different level. So what I did was That's, I developed yeah. a component method of criminal defense investigation, which could be used as a default action plan, whether you're working on a simple battery case uh, or a first-degree homicide. And it was really designed to provide an easy training tool to those people entering the field. And we create a standard. And it's really risen from there. 
Um, I developed that in 94. I wrote the book in 98, and I launched the Criminal Defense Investigation Training Council in 2000. So it's been 15 years now. and We have oh, 300 board-certified criminal defense investigators nationally. We draw them from actually all over the world. Uh, I've trained people from the African continent, Europe, Australia. We have board-certified members in, in Canada, Guam, American Samoa, Puerto Rico. And we're really, it's just, it's just exploded and for, for, for good reason because we're connecting. So how do you get a board, how do you become a board-certified criminal defense investigator? Uh, for some people, like yourself, it's just kind of convincing to fill out the application. <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay, okay. Randy's <laughs> been qualified for years taking the training. <laughs> oh, that's very funny. You busted me on that one, Brandon. <laughs> so what? So what does it take? You have to you have to go through the training. Yes. What what a person has to do is they have to take the if you like for instance we're going to be in Campbell California by San Jose uh, next week so if you attend the two day training program completion of the two day training program will qual- will satisfy the academic requirement then they need two years of criminal defense investigation experience a minimum of twenty five comprehensive cases and that's not just interviewing one person or two people or taking photos it's comprehensively uh, basically mm-hmm. employing you know, the majority of the six components to uh, handle the case as, uh, from a strategic perspective. Mm-hmm. And they also need two references from criminal defense lawyers that they've worked with. And then once they have that, they have, to, they have these, uh, the experience uh, affidavit signed. They need to sign an oath. You've learned the methodology that we teach, and basically it's so that we're all on the same page and we have a national standard, a standard that is consistent with the American Bar Association rules 4.1 for effective representation, more specifically to effective investigation. So we want to provide due diligence and make sure everybody has a standard they can follow. But then you have to sign an oath. Our philosophy is, is something that we really believe in for our membership, and that is that the investigator is not just there to tell a lawyer what they want to hear. An investigator is there to work within the confines of attorney-client privilege as well as the work product doctrine. And, you know, and it's, that's not an easy area to navigate, as you know, especially right. in California. That's um, right. California's work product rules are the worst in the nation for the defense. <laughs> Thank <Absolute> you. Worst. <laughs> Thanks so much. <laughs> Which is so working as a criminal defense in, investigator in California is very nuanced and it requires uh, a, a, a definitive minimum amount of training, especially in those areas. And we do cover that, by the way. But I'm off, I'm off track. Um, the philosophy that we have is you've got to sign the oath that you're an impartial and objective advocate of the truth. That's, that's our position. Um, we are here to defend the United States Constitution, the Sixth Amendment right to a, a fair trial. We're here to work as an agent of counsel with counsel to ensure that fair trial. Criminal defense investigators are misunderstood, and I'm always trying to correct that. In, uh, That's absolutely public. true. You know, they think we're here to get bad people off, to help mm-hmm. criminals get back on the street. And I don't know about you, but well, I do know about you. You are a <laughs> believer. You are one of the generals no. in our field. And uh, it's one of the reasons I admire you, I respect you, oh, and uh, I consider you colleague and friend. Um, you know, it's not battle buddy, as we would say in the military. Buddy, yeah. <laughs> well, you know, it's true. It's, we're not there to get people off. No. We're there to no. do the due diligence and cross the T's and dot the I's and figure out what actually is going on. Well, you have the same, you know, in your state and in our state and in many states, too many states maybe, whether you believe it or not, it has nothing to do with it, we have capital punishment. 
And if you are going to, in those states, more important than many, if you are going to execute someone for a crime, you better be sure that you have found them guilty beyond a reasonable doubt. Um, and how many of our cases do you see that's not true? Absolutely. If you look at the stats nationally on those cases where an innocent person was exonerated 10, 15, 20, 25 years later, if you look at every single one of those cases, they have one thing in common, and it is that the investigation didn't exist. And if it did, it was so ineffective, it was ridiculous. Many of them never even had an investigator. Right. That's right. And that, that's, that says a lot. It really does. We bring a lot to the table. And, uh, you know, one of the things I always try to promote is ask your best criminal defense attorneys, how many classes in investigation did you have in law school? Zero. Zero. Yep. Not a one. Not Zero. A one. Yeah. You know, so they don't know. It's um, astonishing, actually. It really is astonishing. I mean, That's still that exists do. today. Yeah. Some schools do. I mean, they have innocence projects, but the ABA doesn't require it to be an accredited law school. Therefore, mm-hmm. they don't put it in there. You know, but we've, we were just happy to announce that uh, William & Mary Law School in Virginia, a very prestigious law school, is now using the component method to train their law students in the Innocence Project. That's one of the many schools that do. So we're, really, we're, we're gaining ground. You know, we That's really fabulous. are. We're gaining ground. But people like ourselves, me, you, you know, we spend a lot of time trying to promote it among our peers and bring more people into our fold as well as train the up-and-coming uh, new breed, you know, the, right. the younger people who are coming in, uh, to try to get them excited about it. Uh, because let's face it, you're a warrior. That's what you are. You're a fighter. You're a rebel at heart. You know, you, don't, you, know, you, you approach cases from an unorthodox approach, not an unethical, not an unlawful, unorthodox, which means you, you think outside the box, and that's what it takes to be an effective criminal defense investigator or due process investigator. They have to be creative and critical thinkers, period. If they're a checklist mentality individual, they will fail yeah. in our field. Yeah. Fail. That is, that is really good. That, I couldn't have said it better, Brandon. That's just that's a great way of putting it. Your, your I book. I think I stole that from the website, your... so you might have said it. No. <laughs> <laughs> Why don't you give your website, Brandon, as long as you give, tell people what your website is. It's, it's real easy. For the CDIDC, you can go to publicdefenderinvestigator.com. Okay. You can go to that. That brings it right to it. We have several names. We have uh, defenseinvestigator.com, publicdefenderinvestigator.com, and cditctraining.com. They all bring you to the same place. Okay. You gathered all those sites, didn't you? Okay. Yeah, I did. (laughs) (laughs) And your book, which I have right here in front of me, uh, Bright Blue Cover, Uncovering Uncovering Reasonable Doubt, The Component Method, Criminal Defense Investigation. And it's your your process, Brandon, the steps you take through this book are, are just right on, right on target. Thank you. Uh, and they're simple. They're, they're simple. You know, I don't, I don't claim to have done anything other than organize the steps that should be taken in a case, you know, when the, when the resources allow. There's always that. You know, I have, I just got back from a two-day training program with the Florida Public Defender Association and had a, uh, large group of public defender investigators and the biggest complaint is well, we don't have the time you know we're, we're so overwhelmed everything is basically triage and i say i understand that but we don't train for that you have to train at the highest most optimal level that way when you are given the opportunity to work on a case you know how to apply the highest standard mm-hmm. don't you find that sometimes the biggest problem is we train at the lowest level 
Right. And then investigators, when they are confronted with the opportunity to handle a big case, to manage a big case, where they're given the resources, they sit blankly staring at the wall because they don't know what to do. Well, and 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 you know, a lot of people are hired at a public defender's office without any background at all, at all. That's the biggest complaint too. And then given no training, nothing. Yeah, it's baptism by fire. You know, we've been there. We did that too. We were burned badly, (laughs) third degree burns. Right. Um, (laughs) But I wouldn't recommend that for anybody, and that's why you know we're trying to change. And I say you too because I see you at all our conferences. Everywhere we go, you're there, and you're trying to promote training and promote professional standards. And and it's hard. It's hard. It's very hard. Yeah. uh, You know, we're fighting. You know, but we're winning. We really are winning. I think a lot of progress has been made. and one day, unfortunately, I probably won't see it, but one day I think we'll go, you're going to see the criminal defense investigator, due process investigator, really at the, at considered culturally uh, at a very high level and respected for it. I hope so. I hope so, because that certainly doesn't exist now. And if, you go to, if, if you're at any cocktail party <laughs> and somebody asks you what you do and you say uh, you're a criminal defense investigator, what's the next thing they do? Well, the next thing they do is stand there and listen to me pontificate. <laughs> well, okay. Let's take you, you know out me. of this question. <laughs> I go, we got a live one. <laughs> right. Exactly. Exactly. But you're right. And, you know, one of the things I even do in my training is try to uh, prepare people for that. Because I tell them we have a responsibility to educate not only our colleagues and the criminal justice system, but the masses. We really do. So when someone says, I tell them, I say, what do you do? You defend bad guys? I know. I do not. Is that what you think I do? I defend the United States Constitution. That's what I do. The right to a fair trial. When someone is oppressed, when someone is being accused of a crime, good, bad, or indifferent, that's our job. Somebody's going to do it. I remind them that a criminal defense investigator has more in common with a Marine or, or soldier standing a post in Afghanistan than they do with a police officer. Yeah. We yeah. actually defend and enforce the law pursuant to the Constitution and Bill of Rights. Police officers are enforcing statutes which are written by the legislature and change with the wind, right? Change with the wind. We really have a high calling. You know, I think, I always say the criminal defense investigators out there who are working those big cases, the difficult cases, and even in the trenches, they're the new knighthood. They really there are. There you go. There you go. Okay. I like that. <laughs> Brandon, we need to take a break. Our subject today, criminal defense, a search for the truth. Don't go away. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com Need to hire a private investigator? Ask for their professional association affiliations. When an investigator asks Francie Kaler about associations, she says to first join a state trade association. Francie belongs to the California Association of Licensed Investigators, or CALI. It's the largest association of its kind in the world. Cali's main focus is networking, training, and legislative advocacy. If you need a detective in California, contact Cali at cali-pi.org or call 1-800-350-C. 
C-A-L-I. For a national association, Francie's Choice is the National Council of Investigation and Security Services, or NCISS. For over 35 years, the council's primary mission has been to represent its members before the United States Congress and governmental agencies. Find the council at NCISS.org or call 1-800-445-8408. NCISS and Cali are great places to look for a qualified private investigator. Tell them you heard it from Francie on P.I.'s Declassified. Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787. Hello? And ask our all-star team to answer your question. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. You're listening to P.I.'s Declassified with Francie Kaler. You can call into the program. We'll take questions and comments at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. You can also email your question to Francie. Send it to francie at pisdeclassified.com. Now, here's Francie Kaler. There's no better investigator. Uh, qualified to talk about criminal defense investigations than Brandon Perron. Um, and we're talking today about uh, his component method, training for investigators. And, and you know, Brandon, it's fabulous that you put this together because when we both started out, just as you mentioned earlier, there was nothing. There was no training. You might buy a, a book that was usually spiral-bound 30 pages, and that might tell you how to do investigation, but certainly not criminal defense investigation didn't exist. At least no, in the, the nuances of, were never yeah. approached. They really weren't. And they you know, weren't. the interesting thing to me is that even investigators, we we probably have, I would say, in the neighborhood of sixty thousand investi- private investigators across the country, across mm-hmm. the United States, not including the world, but the United States. And I would say the majority of them don't even know what criminal defense investigators do. No, many don't. You figure how many are doing, uh, you know, surveillance or working for insurance companies, working compensation and such like that. Um, and unfortunately, I think there's many doing criminal defense that don't know what criminal defense is about. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I've had those conversations. Um, you know, like this, I always make a point in training. I say, hey, next time you're talking to someone who says they do criminal defense or they dabble in it, doing a side, ask them a simple question and ask them for any jurisdiction. Say, what is your opinion? of the rules of reciprocal discovery and disclosure for regarding that state's particular rules of criminal procedure. Mm-hmm. And if they look at you like you're talking Greek, yeah. tell them to go to, to go to our training. Yeah. Because when they attend our training, they know the answer to that question. But yeah. it, it's something that's a necessity. Understanding the attorney-client privilege and the confines of the privilege as we are agents of counsel, understanding the work product doctrine for that particular jurisdiction, that state, because they're all different. Their interpretation, as we mentioned, California's is the worst in this country in respect to criminal defense, which surprises and, you considering the politics. Right. It really does. And, and you can't depend on the attorney to, t- to know what to do. Oh, Lord, attorney, no. <laughs> yeah. You know, the attorneys do their job, some of them better than others. Attorneys do their job, but they're not investigators, and they don't no, look we at it. That. They don't have any training in it. So imagine, I always make the point, how can, why are you letting a person with no training in investigation dictate an investigative strategy to you. 
They should, you should, I always say, ask them a simple question. What questions would you like answered through investigation? I will determine how to answer them. Well, and you know, I don't know whether this is true in Florida, but in California, uh, if you work as a staff investigator for an attorney, that those hours do not qualify for your licensure. Are you kidding me? No. Wow, and no, for they that, do count in Florida. They do okay. count. Okay, and it's for exactly that reason. You have to be oh. working for an investigator. An attorney doesn't know what an investigator is required to do, the process, the rules, the laws, all of those things. They don't need to. No, they don't. They have to understand it, don't need to know it. And, and, you know, and I always point out the biggest difference between an attorney and an investigator is simple. Just think of it in the most basic elements of what we do. Ask almost any lawyer, and you can ask them, what's the rule when it comes to questioning? Never ask a question you don't know the answer to. Right. Right? Right. Investigators, direct opposite. We ask every question. We may <laughs> place it strategically, right? We ask the tough ones at the end oh. because we might derail an otherwise productive interview, but it's going right. to get asked. And that's why we yeah. work so well together. We get the answers that they need so they know which questions to ask and, just as importantly, which questions not to ask. Not to ask, yeah. That's you know, right. That's, that's, exactly. that's, the, that's the, the, the symbiotic relationship that we have with them. Um, and we often have to train them. I think a, a qualified, trained, experienced invest, criminal defense investigator has a responsibility to educate the lawyers and what we're capable of and what our methodologies are and what we can do for them. When I do a uh, half-day training for attorneys on the component method, many come up to me and say, I didn't know an investigator could do all that. <laughs> right. Yeah, that's ab- absolutely true. Yeah. No, they didn't know. They had no idea. Well, you know, the great thing about um, your component method is it's, it's a really comprehensive step-by-step process. You start at A, and you work it through the alphabet to Z. And it's, it, it's really great. Um, yeah. and, and it's not a checklist. It's a guide. And that's, yeah. it's, it's, a, it's a guide. Because, again, one of the things I like to stress is it guides you. It's, it's, a, it's a default action plan, but it's not a checklist. Because, again, a checklist, you know, people pick up a checklist and they do what the checklist says. Mm-hmm. This, mm-hmm. this uh, promotes critical and creative thinking. It promotes planning. It just makes sure that you are engaging in due diligence and that you are defending that defense, you are protecting that defendant's right to due process and ultimately the Sixth Amendment right to a fair trial. That's really what it's all about. Free defendant's rights as my rights. I'm not really defending and protecting their rights. I'm defending my rights, everyone's rights. Yeah. And even if you're charged with a capital murder, in this country, you're entitled to a fair trial. Absolutely. Everybody is, no matter what it is. Yeah. No matter what you charge, because think about it, the charge doesn't change your right to representation and your right to a fair. Our, four, our founding fathers, everything for that. Everything. Well, let me ask and, you, Brandon, do you, do you, when you go into a case, um, because it, I think this is a difference in thinking, do you automatically assume the guy's guilty or do you automatically assume they're innocent until proven otherwise? You know, it's interesting. I mean, I take, I really have had to train myself and thought to assume, you know, to go with what our law states, and that's that they are innocent until proven guilty. Um, because I think it's important for us to maintain that understanding. Because as we're reading and reviewing law enforcement evidence and prosecutor, the prosecutor's evidence, we have to hold them to that standard. 
Mm-hmm. So if we come to any conclusions whatsoever, I even really keep myself disciplined to not come to ever come to a conclusion, a professional conclusion based on the evidence, based on the facts that they're innocent. And it's hard not. It's hard to do Very that, isn't hard. it? Yes, it, it, absolutely. It, what we do is like a martial art. It takes discipline. It takes training. It takes practice. It requires focus. And you know, and we really in our we're intellectual warriors. We it's intellectual combat is what we enter into. And we have to engage and understand and analyze insurmountable evidence sometimes uh, mm-hmm. in, in documents and in, in narratives. And, and it goes to that. You can't, that law enforcement has generated a narrative. The prosecutors have adapted a narrative, and they want everybody else to adopt that narrative as well. Well, I'm not drinking anybody's Kool-Aid. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, I've got to see it, and I'm going to vet it. And that's the way I approach it. You know, everybody's innocent until proven guilty because at the end of the day, it really doesn't matter if they're – the question isn't are they guilty. That's the big mistake, I think, Francie. It's not are they guilty. The question is can the government prove they're guilty. Prove their, yeah, yeah. Not about if they're guilty or not. That has nothing to do with it. Can they prove they're guilty? The burden of proof is on them, always on them. I mean we accept a burden of proving something if we end up trying to develop an affirmative defense. But ultimately at the end of the day, it's, they still have to prove the defendant is guilty beyond That's a reasonable right. doubt, which means they have to prove the elements of the crime. That's right. So um, how many, I, I know you've had innocent clients, clients that are factually innocent. How, in your career, how many times do you think that's happened? Hundreds. Hundreds. I know the last time I counted, it was over, uh, over 100. Really? That was about 10 years ago, yeah. Yeah. And, that, and you know what? That's the rude awakening. And, and I've talked about this on this show I had a, a case with a capital client who was convicted. I'm sorry, it wasn't a capital client. It was a rape client who was convicted. And 14 years later, the DNA proved that he, w- he was not the perpetrator. And that's where and, I, in my career, have found the most injustice and the most false yeah. al- allegations and prosecutions and uh, false convictions come from the sex crimes. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, because yeah, they're, they're, they're so they, emotional. Uh, it, it was so emotional, and you enter into it at a disadvantage because it, there is a political correctness to it. Um, every, everybody in sex crimes is an advocate, and when you're trying to battle advocates, they have no concern for the truth whatsoever. Yeah. Um, it's all about advocating a particular position. That's it. And, you know, even when you talk to victims' advocates, God bless them, they, they provide a fantastic service. I've worked with them often, and they tell you, they say, I'm not here to. Well, even if, I've had advocates tell me that even when they know the victim is lying, is falsifying the claim, they have to support them, and they have to believe them because that's their job. Scary. And that blows my mind when I hear But I, understand, I do understand. I do understand, but I think we all need to understand you know, where people, you know, uh, position themselves. I think there's a great line from a Department of Justice manual on sex crimes. And it said, in their manual states, they, it is better to have a poorly trained investigator, mean detective, who believes that most allegations of sex, uh, sexual abuse are true, than it is to have a well-trained investigator who may think that many of them are false. That's the dumbest comment I've ever heard. Wow. That's, not, not, um, having a poorly trained investigator 
in anything is a stupid thing. It's like saying, okay, I'd rather have the, you know what? I'd rather have a poorly trained surgeon because he believes I'm actually ill. <laughs> <laughs> like, he's right. going to cut me open and, because I really think something's wrong. <laughs> right. It's <laughs> funny. And that's from DOJ manuals. That's, from, that's their philosophy because uh, the, the law enforcement has just been attacked and overrun by advocates from every position, from mm-hmm. the politicians, from political correctness. It's, it's insane. You see it unfolding in the news now where, you know, there are a lot of policies that are bad in law enforcement. There's also a lot of policies that are good and necessary, and they're not being pursued because of it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, you know, it's, it's a crazy world, and it's, and it's really difficult. I'm, you and I both know it's really difficult when you get one of these cases, and the facts are horrendous. Oh. And it's really hard to read that and not come to a conclusion. Oh, yeah, going, it is. And, oh, my and God. Bring, oh, my God. <laughs> and we bring our own values into it. You know, when I do training for uh, sex crimes cases, I tell people, I say, listen, American culture treats and just treats the word sex itself, never mind the details of sex. They treat it as either a punchline or a deviant behavior. Mm-hmm. It's a joke or it's a form of deviance. And when we enter into these cases, it's very hard for the investigator, never mind everybody else, to apply their own values to what they're reading. And what I've learned, you know, in my years uh, is, you know, just when I think I've seen it all, <laughs> you know, there's yeah, stuff exactly. going on out there that just shocks me, shock and awe, you know. But there's a lot of stuff that goes on behind closed doors that, you know, People are just so aware of. There's a whole underground of activity out there, and we have to educate ourselves. And sometimes we yeah. have to educate. When we conduct an investigation, I think one of the great parts of what we do is think of and imagine just all of the different people and, and cultures and ethnic backgrounds and communities you've gone into as an investigator. I've been enlightened by it. It has just mm-hmm. amazing. But what I did find out entering all these, this, you know, so you, know you have it in California, we have it in Florida, uh, we have so many different cultures diverging on each other, but I learned that people are people. That's exactly right. You know, they, you know I, I even get it, I, I don't even, I, I subscribe to the school when they talk about race issues. Well, there's only one race on the planet, it's called the human race. You know, the, the rest of it is just cultural or, I mean, you know, the judgment of the pigment of your skin, it's ridiculous. There's no mm-hmm. difference between any of us. As we see, as, you know, experts in human behavior, there's no difference the way a crime is committed, whether the person is of any specific background. What's the difference? Mm-hmm. Their motives are the same. Their interests are the same. Their concerns, it's, you know, it all comes down to the seven deadly sins sometimes. <laughs> and it all, you know, it, it's all based on, when you're talking to people, it's, it's all about respect. Yes. I mean, that's the only thing you have, really, is no, the respect of the person, respecting their culture, respecting their position, respecting their circumstances, respecting that this, this mother just lost her son to somebody who had shot him, and we have to talk to them, you know? <laughs> and, we, and, we, and we deal with the victims of both sides. You have the victim, for instance, in the homicide case, you have the victim who was killed, and their family are victims. Then you have the defendant who's charged, and if, especially if they, even, if they're not, even if they're guilty, their family, if you do death penalty cases, capital cases, and you deal with mitigation, their mm-hmm. family are victims. They didn't participate in that crime. Right. But they have to imagine having one of your children accused of a capital crime and facing execution. How do you deal with that? How do you deal yeah, with that? Yeah, you know, I, I had a case, this is several years ago, I had a case 
that uh, one family member killed another family, or two family members killed another family member. And so there ended up to be, this extended family was huge, and there were 52 family members that I had to interview. And it was like, I felt like I was walking through molasses, and I couldn't figure out what was going on. And it just finally dawned on me, I'm interviewing exactly what you're saying. I'm All the people I'm interviewing are victims. All of them, yep. Every one of them. Their life has been shook up and turned upside down. Yeah. It really is. And think about it. Now, you, you know, you made a great point. You're dealing with family. So just think of the average family. There's so many secrets and layers and issues in every family. And we as investigators have to have the skills and the talent and the personalities to be able to navigate that. That's not easy. Not it isn't. Easy. You know, being an effective investigator, effective investigator. It is, a, uh, it is an art. It is a nuanced art. It's not a technical position in any way, shape, or form. It's, it's an art, and it requires a lot of training, a lot of uh, education, and, uh, you know, it's just an experience. You have to become seasoned. There's no replacement for that either. But I really think it's important for us to, that's why I really push upon people, if they're interested in criminal defense, attend training. You know, if they're within earshot, they can attend the program that Cali's sponsoring. They're bringing me in for this. That says a lot about California. This is the third time that I've been able to work with Cali. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, they are one of the leaders in a the nation. They really are, if not the leader in a nation, when it comes to really trying to provide training to investigators to step up their game. And this is an opportunity to do it. We have six board-certified criminal defense investigators in California now. That's, that's not a lot for such a big state. <laughs> well, we have, you may get you may get another one. <laughs> yeah, we have other After states today. Too, you know. Hey, you know one of our biggest catches, and you know him well, was George Michael Newman getting George to apply absolutely. for anything. What's up? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And he's a just a fantastic investigator. Yeah, yeah, yeah. you know. But uh, uh, you know, it, it's it's a uh, it's a charge. We have to elevate our standards. We have to do it together. We are an army, a virtual army out there of of uh, investigators defending the Constitution, defending people's rights, uh, due process investigators. Uh, the, you hear the culture calling for it now, demanding it, and we need to step up. And any investigator who wants to even start to expand their role, if they're specializing in something else, we need more people who are trained in criminal defense investigation. So I really highly recommend they, they attend it. I know we have 30, last count, at the end of the week, we had 36 participants signed up. Yeah, and there's still people there. signing up as well. And yeah. and uh, what was I going to say? The, the um, oh, go on to other things. I forgot what I was going to say. It doesn't matter. Um, but, yeah, so the, the training is going to be all day for two days. Starts yeah, early depends. in the morning through entire day. And I can tell you from being at, <laughs> formerly at Brandon's other seminars, uh, it's a very entertaining class. Yeah. I, I'm sure you can tell that already. Energy. Yep, high energy. I, I know there's a lot. It drains me. I'm not going to lie to you. It, uh, I've been doing it a long time, and, you know, I'm not going to – I wouldn't dare whine to you about it. <laughs> yeah, no, it's – But two it's, days, you know, you're on the, you know, doing two days just straight like that, it's tough. But I have such enthusiasm and passion for what we do and for the people who attend that I actually feed off of everybody in the group. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's, it's like you're standing – it, it's like you're standing with the knights at the round table. That's how I see it. I see dragon slayers sitting out in the uh, in the group, <laughs> waiting to you know be knighted and go out and and conquer all. And I really do see it that way. You can call it delusional, That's great. you know, but it, I do have a romanticized view 
of what we do. I really do. I, I think, you know, the investigator who picks up the sword and wants to defend those people and help them who can't be helped, which is really what we're about, let's face it, the average Joe doesn't hire a private investigator because things are good in their life. Exactly. They're desperate. They've gotten, it's so bad a lawyer couldn't help them. And we had to get involved so we can organize and package it in some way that even an attorney can help provide them with some kind of answers. People go to us because the police have failed them, lawyers have failed them, the system has failed them. You name it, there's nowhere else to go. And we have to be, you know, tooled for that. You know, we're not social workers. It may seem like we're therapists sometimes and we have to hold hands, and that's true. We've got to have that skill too. But at the end of the day, what does a client want, a defendant or any client? They want to... They want a dragon slayer. They want a warrior. That's what they want. They want someone who's going to fight. And anyone I've ever known throughout the field, including yourself and those people that we know out there, our colleagues that we respect and we know, you have to be. They're fighters. It is a battle. It's an adversarial system, and there's no question about it. It is a battle. And and (laughs) as an investigator, if you're doing a good job, you're going to get attacked by the other side. Oh, yes, you are. That's when you know you're doing your job right. Mm-hmm. When they start coming at you and, and, and they start, you know, focusing on you, you're doing your job right. I always say no criminal defense investigator has, has really accomplished much if they, the federal government hasn't tried to indict them. <laughs> right. There you go. <laughs> That's true, too. Because it Whenever certainly happens. Come, hey, do you know the feds were trying to indict you? I go, again? <laughs> <laughs> good luck That's, with that. That's great. That's Which really is also good. why we need to know the rules. We need to understand the ethical questions. We need to know the law because we are targets. We are targets. And if, but if you walk the line, you know, if you do what you're supposed to do, you'll never have a problem. I've never had a problem. 30 years, I've never had an issue, never had a problem. I've had threats. They were empty threats from yeah. some boisterous prosecutor. And it's like, okay, fine, whatever. And mm-hmm. then after a while, they learn if you do things right, they start to respect you. You know, I don't need them to be my friend. I have enough friends. I don't want any more. I can't yeah. lend any more money out. <laughs> <laughs> well, and, and Brandon, don't you think the hardest thing is um, realizing that you have an innocent client? Oh, that's the, the nightmare case. I had a big it, one a it couple really years is. ago. It and was a you... big, and it was a very hard case we had. I had a case where a college kid was charged with uh, downloading child pornography. And that is a hot button guilty the minute it happens and after two years and literally literally over a thousand hours of investigation uh, we were able to prove that he was innocent that it's this using peer-to-peer sharing programs that the programs were downloaded on his computer without his knowledge and we were able to prove that he never opened them or even viewed them he didn't know they were there wow and those are cases where as soon as you hear the term, there's a lot of investigators who won't even work the case. I'm not That's touching right. those. That's I'm right. not doing that. And I have a problem with that. I have a problem with any investigator who decides I will do most cases, but there's certain cases I won't want to do. Mm-hmm. I find that to be an unethical decision. Hmm. That's good. You know, I, I understand like you're not taking a case because you don't like the, the client. You don't like the defendant. There's a personality conflict. But you don't like the allegation. You don't like the charge. Yeah. I don't get it. So you are a concierge investigator. You choose certain clients and certain clientele with certain non-politically, you know, active charges. I don't understand it. You know, we're, if we're going to defend the truth, we take them all. We take them all. 
And, you know, sometimes uh, with somebody who's factually innocent, you get it initially from the attorney. But other times, it's a process. The attorney already thinks they're guilty. Oh, too often, right? You're right. And they think they're guilty. And you're going through the process. And you have this gut feeling. There's not something not right about this. You keep mulling it over and mulling it over. And you realize, oh, my God, I don't think this guy did it. And you know what that is? I find the best investigators have, for lack of a better word, a sixth sense. And what they do is we're able to look at certain facts and, more importantly, factual nuances. You know, you can look at dots on a wall, but investigators, great investigators, have the ability to look at the dots and connect them. Mm-hmm. And connect them in multiple ways to come up with some kind of image of what those dots mean when they're put together. And what happens is when you had a case like that, you're looking at all these facts and they're just not connecting. Yeah. Oh, right. They're just not connecting. And that's where the problem usually lies. Well, and you know, when these people are interviewed, the exonerees, people that have been, you know, in prison for years and, they're in, and they get out, they're exonerated by some glitch, usually. Hard work, very hard work by many people, and they're out and they're interviewed. And usually what they say, They've been innocent all along. They've declared their innocence all along. They're factually innocent. There's no question. I trusted the system. Yeah. You hear that a lot. You hear that almost every time. I always tell new people coming into our field who say, why do you do this? I tell them, let me give you advice. Watch the movie The Hurricane with Denzel Washington about Reuben Hurricane Carter, who passed away, I believe, about a year or so ago. Yeah. You know, spending 23 years in prison for something he didn't do. And watch how he was railroaded and how he was just became the guy that they had to pin this on and they manipulated evidence. And who got him out of that? A group of intern investigators who decided to revisit that case through investigation. There was no legal wrangling. It wasn't a legal argument that assisted him and got him freed. It was factual argument that was provided to a fact-driven investigation. And I say, watch that movie. Watch that movie. It's, it's fascinating. I mean, yeah. This was a big case. I mean, you, you remember, I mean, we had, uh, you, you, you know, songs written about it, uh, you know, by Bob Dylan. I mean, it was mm-hmm. a huge, huge mm-hmm. case. Mm-hmm. And 23 years later, he is, he is freed. Um, I had the opportunity where, and we like to say is, uh, Reuben Hurricane Carter, uh, read our book. He read the Uncovering Reason Without the Component Method, and he said, if this had been available when yeah. I was charged, I might not have lost 23 years of my life. And, and, I, can't, you know, and, and I can't even get my head around losing 23 of your, years of your life in a state prison or a federal prison. No. I, I, it's just it's some things are difficult to fathom. They really are. That's, that's a li- How do you recover from that? How? How do you recover from that? You know, we, as Americans, too, you know, we, we forget. We're spoiled in this country. We are so spoiled. You know? And our freedom means everything to us, even if we don't realize it. Mm-hmm. We, uh, the average person maybe, and social media is picking it up, when you see a person who is maybe falsely accused or just the officer was too overzealous, they put, look how innocent law-abiding people fight the police just when they're trying to put handcuffs on them. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Because what are they trying to do then? They're trying to cage them. Uh-huh. That's you know, a good and point. 
And we're, you know, uh, that's, that takes a lot to just be submissive, especially if you're innocent of something, especially if you know in your mind you've done nothing wrong. Having the average person say, well, even if you are right and the office is wrong, you must submit and comply. Think about what I just said. Telling an American they have to submit and comply. It's almost un-American. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and, and one of the, you know, under the broad categories of legal defenses and specifically procedural defenses, resisting unlawful arrest is a defense, a legal defense, you know, if it's an unlawful arrest. So it's, uh, I, I, I do understand it. I see situations where, yeah, the, the person should not have resisted. They shouldn't have done that. They shouldn't have done this. But it's hard to say that to a, if you're in no shoes, if you're standing in that right. position, you know, and right. as the investigators, we have to investigate the whole story and i think i always try to promote that with our colleagues it's like you know what you're getting from law enforcement is a snapshot you're getting the narrative they want you to see what they want you to believe you're getting what the prosecutors want the jury to accept as the truth that's their narrative but francie there's always more to the story right there's There's always always more more to the story absolutely you know it's it's not the whole story i always like to say when you read a police report it's like it's similar to going to a movie and seeing a movie and then realizing there's a book. The movie's based on a book and then go and read in the book. Mm-hmm. When you read the mm-hmm. book, how much more information do you get? Right. Right? And that's what I was trying to say. Looking at a police report is nearly a snapshot. It's the Hollywood version of the event. It's the dramatized storytelling version that law enforcement wants you to accept in order to support probable cause and ultimately that the defendant's guilty beyond a reasonable doubt but they haven't communicated all the facts they've cherry-picked those facts which satisfy the elements of the crime it's it's a recipe and they have baked a cake that they hope hope you bite into and that you're a chocolate lover you know well you also yeah you also have to really understand the roles of each group you know the the job of law enforcement is to get probable cause to arrest and then work their case up so they can take it to the prosecutor and have the complaint filed. That's their job. Their job is not to interview every witness and find, track down every fact and determine whether this person is guilty or innocent. They're, that's not their job. Touche. That's, that's our job. You're right. That's that, not their job. Yeah. And, and even when they're uncovering probable cause, probable cause is the lowest standard of proof Absolutely. there is in the system. Yeah. Absolutely. You know, it's just PC doesn't mean they're guilty. And then the prosecutor's job, once they accept that case and file the complaint or indict the person or whatever the process is in that state, then their job is to get a conviction. That's it's it. Not, That's it's, their job. It's not, it's not to find the truth. It's to get a conviction. You hit it right big, on the head. Big difference. And big I think difference. it's, you know, I think it'd be, it would, you know, when I've worked with the few attorneys who actually explain the system. And, and their opportunity is in void the error in jury selection. When you see those lawyers who use that opportunity to educate potential jurors, just even some of the argument you just made, they end up with a much better jury. You know Absolutely. that is going to be a little more favorable. But I think too much, too many times we we believe people just understand everybody's role. You know, I like to explain my role as you just did. What is my role? I explained the first time I meet with a defendant in component two of the process. I explain my role, what I'm going to be doing, what I'm responsible for. They have no idea, no clue. Right, you know, right. No clue. 
in law enforcement, in the prosecution has conducted an investigation to provide a narrative that they can argue to support guilt. We need to conduct an investigation to provide facts and evidence to support a narrative to support that at a minimum the state has not proven their case beyond a reasonable doubt, or two, that there is an alternative theory that is the truth, and that truth is supports the defendant's innocent. Mm-hmm. That's our role. Mm-hmm. That's what That's we do. Right. And, you know, I don't know whether... I don't know whether this is a change or whether maybe I'm just getting old. But <laughs> uh, I you don't also get old. <laughs> yeah, oh, really? Okay. And Good. We were just talking about that in, in Florida when you were down here. Every the other investigator was saying, "How come we're all getting older and she's not?" <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. So, um, so I see the judges get more getting more involved in. Um, well, of course, many of the judges are former prosecutors, but more involved in actually in the prosecution of the case, even oh, when yeah. a witness is on the stand and maybe the judge is trying to make a clarification, but it's yeah. on the prosecution side. Uh, you see it often, especially, but you made the point when you have, you know, historically in many jurisdictions, the, most of the judges were being drawn from the prosecutor's ranks. It was very politically driven. Mm-hmm. You know, they're being drawn from that. And in a few cases, you know, we just had a case, uh, my wife is a, mitig- a capital case death penalty mitigation uh, expert and investigator. And she just had a case two years ago where the jury found uh, the defendant, they found him guilty, and then, which he should have, but then they found for death and favor, you know, and they found favor. That's one, one juror over the amount needed, so they, they only need a majority. They don't need a um, uh, unanimous for that. And the judge, the jury found him that they gave him the death penalty, and this judge, a very Republican conservative judge, overruled the jury's decision and found life, overturned it. And he said the mitigation evidence was overwhelming, and he felt the jury either ignored it or didn't understand it. Interesting. Wow. You know, and it was like, wow, the prosecutors didn't know what to do. They were just sitting there like, I object. To what? Mm -hmm. (laughs) You know, you can't do that. Um, but it's, it's all about providing as much information and facts as possible in these cases, and that's what we're about. And that's the, the problem I have when an investigator, you know, a good example would be an attorney will retain an investigator to assist them, and they'll say, I want you to go interview this witness, and these are the five questions I want you to ask. And the investigator will go out in the field, contact that witness, and actually only ask those five questions. Yeah. Yeah, that's like a checklist. <laughs> that's yep. the same thing as what like, you're talking you about, a checklist. <laughs> you had this witness in front of you. You had this opportunity. You had the cooperation. Yeah. You got them to submit to an interview, and you telling me you didn't take advantage of that situation to find out everything they possibly knew about this case. That's not only ineffective, it's downright tragic. And you may is. never have another opportunity. No, right. Every, the, I always teach people, I say, listen, the, any contact you have with a witness, treat it as the last. Yeah, yeah, you know? exactly right. But there's, you know, Brandon, so, we're, so we, we are almost at the end of our hour. I could talk to you for hours. Oh, we wow, are that almost, much time went by, huh? <laughs> <laughs> we are almost at the end. I really, I really, really appreciate uh, you taking the time today. And I, I know your, your seminar, your two-day seminar is going to be an exciting two days. So I hope that people have tuned in will be interested in that. And uh, if they're out of California, they'll fly to San Jose and take part. So let's uh, hope to see you there. I hope but Brent, so. Are you going to be that way? I don't know if you're up I, that way. You gonna nope, be there? I'm going to be there. I'm going to be Oh, fantastic. Fantastic. <laughs> yeah, so it'll be fun. But thanks for being on the show. And to my listeners, tune in again 
as we declassify more real stories from real investigators like Brandon Perron every Thursday morning, noon Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific. It's PIs Declassified. I'm Francie Kaler. Thanks so much for listening. You've been listening to PIs Declassified with your host, Francie Kaler. Tune in every Thursday at noon Eastern Time. That's 9 a.m. for you West Coast listeners. P.I.'s Declassified explores stories of deceit, mystery, and detectives unraveling the truth. Every Thursday at noon Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific Time, here on the Voice America Variety Channel.